Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Nick at Night Show. We have quite a uh, night ahead of you. Uh, we have a couple of guests on, on uh, that will be coming on this evening. I have, in the first half hour, I'm just waiting for his call to come in now, David Harris, who really needs no introduction. But uh, let me bring up the introduction anyway so you get an idea of who he is if you don't know him. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Mr. David Harris of Ins- uh, My guest tonight will be Mr. David Harris of Insignia Strategic Studies Institute. He is a Canadian lawyer and noted terrorism expert. He's a former contractor with the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, where he served as a senior manager between 1988 and 1990. As of 2015, he is director of the International Intelligence Program and Insignia Strategic Research and a frequent media commentator on issues related to terrorism. So as soon as his call comes in, we'll get him queued up and get him going. Uh, that's who's on for our first half hour. And at the bottom of the hour, we have a really interesting guest. I just finished up talking to him a few moments ago before the show. Uh, his name is Paul Sutliff. Uh, if that name sounds familiar, it's because there's another. No, never mind. <laughs> anyway, Paul Sutliff is a teacher and author who specializes in cultural jihad. His latest article was posted on my page earlier today entitled, Are We Prepared If Congress Declares Muslim Brotherhood a Terrorist Entity? Now, uh, he's an American, so of course it's going to come from that perspective. But we're going to be talking about uh, the Manchester attack. We'll be talking about what ramifications that has in the, uh, in the broader scope of things. And once David calls in, we'll talk about it from a Canadian angle, what lessons it holds for us, and remind ourselves, you know, that this threat, just because, you know, we've been really lucky, we've had some brushes with it, tragic brushes, no doubt. But uh, we haven't seen the kind of bloodshed that they see over in Europe. And we can talk about why that is and how we can make sure that that kind of thing doesn't happen here. Or if it does happen, how we can help to mitigate it. That's straight ahead as well. Now, I also want to... um, (laughs) I just don't get this part. That last week during the show, I had... um, in the first hour, we were talking about what a new political party might look like in the province. And at the end of that, when we switched topics, there was a clip that uh, I'm going to play you a clip about two minutes of last week's show where somebody somehow came up with the idea that I was calling for DNA testing of homosexuals. Let me put that to bed right here, right now. That is utter nonsense. I'll let the clip speak for itself, but when it's over, I want you to ask yourself, how could anybody extrapolate from what I say in this clip into, I want gays tested, uh, you know, genetically tested? I said nothing of the kind. So here it is. Let me make sure I get everything all set up here. Here we go. Um, One of the stories that's in the media today, I want to shift topics a little bit. Uh, first of all, this one's, I, I don't know. They actually did a study in Israel about this. And I cannot, it was kind of, I posted it as a joke because it's so obvious. You wouldn't believe how long the thread got. It was ridiculous. New Israeli research reveals that men are men and women are women. Really? They needed us. But this is all about this trans transgender, multifaceted, you know, today I'm a boy, tomorrow I'm a girl. Who knows what it'll be Thursday morning. I could wake up and feel like something different kind of nonsense that's out there. So they found out. Let me just read the first couple of paragraphs. A new study by Israeli researchers found that a man cannot become a woman by simply identifying as one and vice versa. Really? Genetics, geneticists from Israel's 
uh, Weizmann Institute of Science discovered certain genes that are only expressed in women while others are only expressed in men. Look, folks, biology does not lie. If you're someone who believes that science is the ultimate in wisdom and knowledge, how do you argue with that? If you're someone that believes in a more creationist, religious view, then you already know that. You know, man and woman, he made them, right? So no matter which way you turn, whether you go to a, 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 a Christian or, or, or a religious worldview that says God made us each men and women and ne'er the twain shall cross, you know, you're not going to... Uh, that's the way he built us. Okay, you come to the, that conclusion. There's only two genders. And if you look at science, they say the same thing. And yet we still have this nonsense out there. So I posted it as a bit of a joke. But the thread got just blown away. How how people could just, like, I got called, uh, in one case, arrogant and ignorant because I didn't understand that, you know, well, it's only one survey was the comment. You only need one in this case. Like, if you do a genetics test on somebody, if, if all you get is a blood sample, right, or a tissue sample, and you run a DNA code on test on it, you'll know whether it came from a man or a woman without ever seeing the individual. No, exactly. There is only male and female that's genes. Right. That's it. So. so it just got out of hand. It absolutely got out of hand, and it's just I had – so I had to post it. Um, okay, so that was the clip from last week. How do you come to the conclusion, based on that, that I want gays genetically tested? So I hope I put that to bed. I didn't want to spend any time on it. It was a it was a farcical thing to begin with. I mean, it was to me it was a total waste of time and energy to study something like that in the first place for all the reasons I just finished explaining in that clip. We don't need a study or a survey to figure out there's only two genders. We just need people to be honest. Okay, that's really all it comes down to. Just be honest. Oh, I should tell you what the numbers are if you want to call in. 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. You can use either one of those. You can drop me a note over at Facebook. You can send me a note uh, to nick at latenightcouncil.com. I'm keeping an eye on all of this stuff. Now, let me... I was going to play a clip... And I can't because they pulled the video too. This this attack in Manchester, uh, of course, is horrific. Absolutely, it's barbaric. And the part about it that just makes me kind of grit my teeth is the refusal to accept the obvious. Okay, and people will go through any length at all to admit that there we have a problem in a certain segment in our society. Okay, now. <sighs> There was an interview by Katy Perry, and she was talking about, and I, I had the video clip, but they've since pulled the, it was a YouTube audio. And I was going to play it for you. It's only a couple of minutes long. Um, but this shows you the kind of nonsense that people will utter just so their whole world doesn't come crashing down around them. Okay? So this is Katy Perry. This is a quote from her. This is what you were going to hear. Now I'm going to read it to you. You know, I can't really tell anyone else how they should feel. But I just feel devastated, she said on the Elvis Duran show Tuesday when she asked about when asked about the attack. 
the thing of it is, you know, besides all the weird stuff that goes around the Internet, which is, you know, sometimes a great place, but absolute, you know, underbelly mob pit of horribleness, I think it's the greatest thing that we can do. The greatest thing that we can do now is just to unite as people, as fan bases, all of it, you know, because I think like they're like she continued as much, you know, whatever we say behind people's back, because the Internet can be a little bit ruthless as far as fan base. I'm reading this exactly as it's written. It's not me making a mess of this. This is her speaking here. So don't think I'm just mumbling on. This is actually I'm actually surprised how well I'm doing reading this. Okay, because I think like they're like as much, you know, whatever we say behind people's back, because the Internet can be a little bit ruthless as far as fan bases go. But I think that the greatest thing we could do is just unite and love each other and like no barriers, no borders like we all need to just coexist. This is what passes. Why? Why would anybody ask a pop star? About their opinion on this topic if this is what they come out with and nobody during the interviews interview said, wait a minute, what are you, what, what are you really saying here? Are you saying we shouldn't have national borders and the ability to control who comes in and who goes out of your, uh, of our collective home, like uh, of our nation? She lives behind gate. She lives in an old convent with a gate on the front. That's locked. She has security cameras and security features all around the place to secure her personal, to make sure that she's personally safe when she's at home. Isn't this a little bit hypocritical? But see, that this kind of stuff never enters their head. It never gets through. It never seeps in and say, wait a minute. If I demand this for my own personal safety, how big a stretch is it to say on a community and a national level, we should have similar things. We should have the right to know who wants to come into our country and why they want to be here how long they want to stay, and if we even want to let them in. Because obviously Katy Perry has no interest in letting just anybody waltz through her front gate. Otherwise, why is it closed and locked? What are all the security features for? The ultimate in hypocrisy, I'm telling you, this stuff, it just... All right, now. Okay. Uh, I think maybe David has uh, got called away or something. He was supposed to have called in by now, but I'll keep my eye on the call board and make sure that we don't ha- leave him hanging on hold. All right, I want to start another topic. Barbara Kay's an amazing lady. She writes for the National Post, and she has printed an article that is going to get her in plenty of trouble. And there's a piece of it here. And what she's talking about, there's uh, an academic called Widowson, um, and she's presented a paper on aboriginal issues that is likely to be considered politically incorrect. She is daring to poke a stick into the intelligentsia's groupthink hive. Now, what they're talking about is, and talk about complete shift. We can get back into Manchester at the bottom of the hour when my uh, when my other guest calls in. Um, but what she's done is saying, as far as the aboriginals in this country are concerned, are we really doing the right thing? Is the reserve system the best way to deal with this? Or are there other methods? Are there other means? She's proposing a discussion. She wants to have a discussion. Even in the article, she says, I don't necessarily want to win it. I just want to have it. And you wouldn't believe how the thing came unglued. She presented this. Well, let me jump in here into the article by Barbara Kay talking about uh, this woman, Widowson. Widowsome. No, it's with an N. Widowson. There we are. 
Speaking at this year's CPSA, let me back up and I'll make sure I get what the word CPSA stands for. Okay. Well, it's a convention. That's what it is. Speaking at that year's CPSA's annual meeting, Widowson argued that Canada's land reserve system and the policies that encourage First Nations to live separately from mainstream society only further societal dysfunction. She has argued for the provision of high-quality services to Aboriginal peoples so that they will have the education, skills, and values to voluntarily move off reserves. Some members called her talk hate speech worthy of a criminal code investigation. One colleague asked if she'd like to take it outside. They want to take her out and beat her up. Aghast at the meltdown, the CPSA formed a committee to consider ethics and research and to monitor what papers got published and which got and who got to present. In other words, they're censoring who they're going to listen to. But think about that. Here in Canada, the idea we have a, a reserve system because well, there's a lot of reasons. Part of it is white man's guilt. You know, we were terrible to the Indians, and and that's not even even that's not completely true. But to be able to have the courage to stand up in a, in a group like that and speak the truth. Talk about speaking truth to power. Wow. Because when you live in a country like Canada that pours 9 or $10 billion a year, it's probably more with uh, the boy king spending like a drunken sailor, uh, but at least $9 billion a year into this portfolio, the only thing you can't do is criticize it. The only thing you can't do is critique it or ask where the money's going. Remember Stephen Harper and his Accountability Act, how he was going to make the band chiefs explain where all the money went? Well, that didn't last long getting flushed. You see, whenever you have something like this, whenever you have um, a system that rewards one particular group for maintaining the status quo, even though the status quo may be horrific, like at Attawapiskat, for example, then anytime somebody stands up and points out the fact it's horrific and we should be we should be doing much better, we could do a lot better, even with less. Nine billion dollars? Are you kidding me? They get turned turned inside out. And the people who who um who have the most to lose by a change to status quo suddenly begin to use the courts against us. They, they find a way to channel everything into hate speech. Like, you, you know, as soon as they start throwing those tags around, a lot of people will just curl up and go away. They, they won't. They don't want the fight. They don't. They want to have a conversation, but they're not interested in getting labeled as some kind of, you know, phobe of some kind or engaging in hate speech. It's a tool for those. You know what? It's a it's a tool. That, uh, uh, it's a how do I say a tool for tyrants, that's the word I'm looking for, a phrase I'm looking for. A tool for tyrants is this idea that anytime somebody stands up and suggests there might be a better way, they get called a hate, uh, you know, hate speech and hate mongers and this and that because the tyrants are using the tools to shut up those they don't want to hear from because it threatens their comfortable lifestyle. And I think that this lady, Whittemson, uh should be congratulated, not ridiculed. And Barbara Kay should be. It's on my. It's on my Facebook page. Uh, it was printed. It's uh, put out May twenty third this year, of course. Um, so you can see that read the article in its entirety. But I just cannot get over it. 
on how this um, uh, how she was absolutely pilloried for daring to suggest there might be a better way. Let me read you just the last paragraph of the article. In my conversation with Widdowson, I was struck by her eagerness to understand her adversary's position. She's willing to engage in debate and wishes they were, too. As she put it, I'm not trying to win the argument. I'm trying to have it. Alas, that's increasingly more difficult in today's climate of insouciant speech suppression. Wow, there's a new phrase. Widdowson has a stomach to face down her critics, but you, but what university today will hire anyone who upholds the principles she embodies? Mount Royal, Wittison emphasized, has been stalwart in the defense of academic freedom. My fear is that the lonely academic furrow Wittison plows will be buried when she retires, and though her writings may endure in some as that form, I don't know what the heck that means, she will be remembered cultural she will be remembered, cultural appropriation intended as the last of the Mohicans in her field. So if you want to read the whole thing, there it is. You can certainly do that. I just cannot figure out. It, it just Actually, it's a sad state of affairs when a country like this, as, as great as Canada is, with all its warts and wrinkles, shouts down people who want to improve the lot of what all of us, a, a lot of us would say are some of the most disenfranchised and... and uh, I won't say oppressed, but hard done by a uh, group in the country because there's no argument about whether or not the natives in this country have uh, on many occasions got the raw end of the deal. We're not arguing that. What we are saying is someday we have to get over the past. We did, Nobody alive today did anything to uh, the natives that I'm aware of, um, you know, that hasn't already been apologized for. Let me put it that way. And we're paying uh, an ongoing victim tax to the natives because of what our great-great-grandfathers did. Or, you know, the, 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 the whole thing. In other words, we've been down this road so many times. When is it finally going to end? And somebody has stood up and said, not only should we look at what we're doing, but how we're doing it. And is this the best way? Even if you agree with all the reasons behind it, even if you don't take my my personal point of view is that we've already paid this debt over and over and over again, and we keep paying and paying and paying and paying, because the day they draw the line in the sand and say you pay us this much and it's all over, you know reparation has to come to an end sooner or later, then they're not going to they they've got a cash cow and they're not going to give that up. So somebody stands up and says, "Boy, I'll tell you what, we got this figured out." We got this uh, whole thing done, and uh, we're, we're, we, got, we know how to make this better for everybody. We're going um, to talk to people about maintaining their culture, but assimilating at the same time. Oh, man, that is when the sky falls and Chicken Little goes crazy, and, you know, we end up in a mess. So well done to Barbara Kay, and well done to uh, – let me see if I can get her right. I want to give you her correct name. Uh, what are some? I know it's in here. <laughs> I can't. Francis, there it is. Francis Widowson. Widowson. All right. Anyway, so congratulations to those two for picking up one hot potato. No doubt about it. Uh, let's see. Now. Oh yes. Hydro rates. Have you seen this? This kind of stuff. I heard Lowell and I heard. Uh, Rob talking about this on the air this this morning on my way into town. And you know something? 
I think one of them, and I can't remember which one, said, are the voters that stupid? And I found myself nodding my head, yes. You've got 13 years of evidence to suggest that the vast majority of voters in this province are that stupid. You know, they or or they have a vested interest in making sure that the liberal government in this province continues. Because they know that if they ever got a real right-wing government, the, the gravy train days would be over. Or at least would quickly come to a, you know, would, would the train would slow down at least. Let's put it that way. So you have this, the premier, who wants nothing. She, she, they will drag her. There was a, a an air fire skit when, uh, oh, this goes back. Let's see. Paul, well, not Paul Martin. Jean Chrétien was still, still the prime minister. And the air fire skit was about getting him out of office. And it ended with them dragging him out by his ankles and him trying to cling to his desk and then his chair and then the door as they literally dragged him out of the office to make room for the new prime minister. That's Kathleen Wynne, but there won't be any laughing. That's what it's going to take to get her out of that chair. She likes being the grand poobah. And she likes it more than anything else. She's totally corrupted by the sense of power that she has. And she will do anything and she will say anything and she will promise anything in order to hang on to power, no matter what it takes. So let me just share with you a little bit of this. Remember the, remember the 25%, okay? And again, I'm, I hearken back to the conversation between Lowell and, and uh, Rob uh, as I was driving in. They were talking about this. But they're going to lower our rates by 25%. But it's going to cost us a minimum of $45 billion. It's going to save us $29, million, 29 billion, sorry, And that is going to cost anywhere uh, from 45 to $93 billion. Because the $29 billion only works. Now think about this, okay? Because governments are, are um, how do I put it? Bad at most things, good at none. There's a phrase I'm, I'm forgetting, and I forget. Uh, but anyway, the point is they don't do anything well and most things poorly. That's, that's what it was. So you've got this plan that says we're going to lower your rate by 25%. But we're, we're going to do it by spending twice as much as it costs to lower your rate. But we're going to stretch it out over 30 years as long as several things happen. Now, they don't bother to point this out. Okay, this comes from another quarter. As long as every government for the next 30 years balances the books. They haven't balanced the books here in Ontario in, good Lord, Lord knows how long. I think they promised a balanced budget this year. They've been there for 13. One out of 13 are not good odds. And yet this is what they, they, they think that we're going to buy into. That we're gonna we're gonna take that and say, oh boy, that's good enough for me, boy. I tell you what, we're just gonna, yeah, okay, we'll go with that plan. <sighs> the other thing that it counts on is interest rates stay right where they are at bargain basement prices. Now, can you please point to me what circus and what group of monkeys actually believes that? Rates have been kept artificially low for a whole host of reasons. Over the last, what has it been now? 15 years, 10 years? It's been a long time. Far longer than anyone ever expected. Now, investors don't like it. 
because they're not getting much return on their money. Okay, people who buy, you know, your treasury bonds and your um, savings bonds and things like that, the yield is really, really low. It's safe, but it's really, really low because interest rates are low. So it's a double-edged sword because those are the same people who put money into into uh, manufacturing and put money into research and, and all the kind of things you need to, to move your economy forward. So we're going to stretch this out. So that assumes that the interest rate's not going to go up because we're spending, what was the critic for finance? What did he say today? $10 billion a year on interest? I think that's what he said. You could pay for the education system a number of times across the province. Whatever. I think it was, I think he said $10 billion. But the point I'm making is that there's a whole thing. It's like a dominoes. You know, if you take dominoes, set them on their end, you can make quite the pattern. And it really looks pretty as long as no domino tips over. Because then the whole thing goes down. And that's what she's counting on. Now, the truth is she'll be long gone. And that's the other thing they're planning for. First of all, this is a very cynical move in the first place because guess what's happening next year? This is an election year for all intents and purposes, although this government never goes out of election mode. And to tell you the truth, that's pretty much true of every government we've had in the last little while. They never really quit campaigning. No one does it as as egregiously as these people do with their stuffing your your, um, Ontario Hydro bills with pro-government propaganda. Uh, and buying self-congratulatory ads on the radio the way that these people do, okay, spending our money doing it to pat themselves on the back to make you think they're wonderful. Anyway, so the information comes from the Ontario Financial Accountability Officer, Stephen LeClaire, who says the minimum cost is $45 billion, but that number could soar to anywhere between 69 and $93 billion if the Fair Hydro Plan is financed with borrowed money. In other words, taxes they haven't collected yet. In the best-case scenario, which requires the Ontario government to maintain a balanced budget over the next three decades, the plan costs $45 billion. Once the 25% break on bills is factored in, Ontario will pay a total of at least $21 billion more than they would have without the hydro rate reduction. <laughs> Think about that. Think about that. Once the 25% break on bills is factored in, Ontario will pay a total of at least $21 billion more than they would have without the hydro rate. You know something? This might be a case where you say, hey, Doc, leave the tooth alone. Pulling it is worse than putting up with it. It's just, why is it that they, no matter where you turn in this in this in this province and in this country these days, you run into absolute insanity no matter what you do. Anyway, all right. I am going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll have more on the Naked Night Show right after this.
independent truckers in the Ottawa area and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift our drivers perform inspections on their truck so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night and you the public have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. Welcome back, everybody. Five, two, one. No. <laughs> Man, I'll tell you, old habits, they die hard. All right. Now, let me introduce to you my next guest. Here he is. Uh, Paul Sutliff is a teacher and author who specializes in cultural jihad. And if I don't click this button, it's not the introduction isn't going to matter much. Uh, there we go. Click on that. There we are. All right. Now, as I was saying, he specializes in cultural jihad. His latest article was posted on my page earlier today entitled, Are We Prepared If Congress Declares the Muslim Brotherhood a Terrorist Entity? Welcome to the Nick at Night Show host, uh, Nick at Night Show. (laughs) I am trying to screw my head on straight, and it's not working. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's actually civilization jihad is is what my specialty is. Oh, and my, apolo- and my apologies. Uh, we'll make sure that gets corrected. Um, although I suppose you could swap the two words, couldn't you? Cultural and civilization? Um, no, because uh, they're talking about taking over your entire country. Oh, okay. All right. We'll go <laughs> your with your entire, title. You're the guy who wrote it, so we'll, we'll, uh, we'll let you decide what it's going to be called, not me. All right. Well, first of all, have you heard the latest out of um, the latest breaking story about Obama? I just put it up. It's about new evidence. Obama's NSA was collecting illegal evidence, and it wasn't just a one or two kind of one or two thing. This was ongoing and egregious. Have you? Are you up to speed I, on that? I just I just saw a story. I haven't had a chance to read it. All right. uh, the the story that was posted for me, interestingly, where I saw it was Russia Today. <laughs> <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> okay. Well, I've got so, a source a little closer to I, home. <laughs> yeah, I'd like the whole source a little closer to home, but unfortunately, RT is, uh, I believe it has its own uh, TV station, uh, some uh, cable networks, and, you know, when people don't realize that's the Russian news, <laughs> yeah. when it just says RT, they don't know. I mean, I, I, I honestly have seen it on TV and some when I'm traveling, and uh, I don't own a TV. Well, you're not missing um, much. Other than well, you, you missed a whale of a hockey game last night when the Senators beat the Penguins. I must admit, I watched that, and it was one exciting piece of hockey. Anyway, that's not why we have you in here. All right, let's get into talking about the, the what, what your specialist is. I read your article about um, being ready to uh, label the Muslim Brotherhood a foreign terrorist organization. 
and you make some very interesting points in it. I'm going to let you explain what you mean by that, though. Go ahead. Well, let's talk about what civilization jihad is. We only know about this topic in general because in 2004, a policeman was doing his job. Basically, he, a uh, Maryland transit officer, saw a woman uh, taking pictures from a car with her uh, you know, full hijab type thing on and uh, burqa, whatever, and and, of course, she wasn't allowed to drive because her husband had to be driving for her. So, but she's taking pictures of the Chesapeake Bay Bridge stru- support structure. Oh, so really? the transit officer did an ordinary traffic stop, pulled the man over, and learned that he was wanted by the FBI for questioning. This was Ismail Obrez, and he was one of the leaders of the North American Muslim Brotherhood. So with that kind of you know suspicious activity, they had a reason to get a warrant for his to search his home, they found a hidden sub-basement, you know, dug out, secretly dug out underneath the basement that was there, and they found 93 bankers' boxes of documents from the North American Muslim Brotherhood. One of them was a document called the Explanatory Memorandum, and I'm just going to read you a little bit from that. It's one chapter, it's one, sorry, one paragraph, okay. and um, this is a scary thing. When Again, it's not my words. It's theirs. Okay. So this is where the term civilization jihad comes from. The process of settlement is a civilization jihadist process with all the word means. All that the word means. The Iqan must understand that their work in America is, they're calling it, they mean North America by America, okay? It's a kind of grand jihad in eliminating and destroying the Western civilization from within and sabotaging its miserable house by their hands and the hands of the believers, so that it is eliminated, and God's religion is made victorious over all other religions. Without this level of understanding, we are not up to this challenge and have not prepared ourselves for jihad yet. It is a Muslim's destiny to perform jihad and work wherever he is and wherever he lands until the final hour comes. And there is no, is there, is no there is no escape from that destiny except for those who choose to slack. But would the slackers and the mujahideen be equal? This is just, the whole terminology comes from them. And civilization jihad is basically what you see happening across Europe and, or, and, and Western countries. Um, they have this enormous movement to settle and change America, uh, North America from within. And again, that's USA and Canada. Uh, and it's happening throughout Canada, especially now with the last drove of uh, Syrian, quote, refugees. Um, I say, quote, refugees because, you know, the United States definition of refugee is you have to have been persecuted. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if Canada's definition includes the term persecution or not, or to have a good fear of persecution. Um, but the United States has that definition. Okay. And we have been taking people in who were never persecuted under the label of refugee. My personal thoughts are to send them back home if they haven't been persecuted because they're not legally defined as a refugee. So that's part of the issue. And I say they can't be legally defined as refugees because if you've never been persecuted, um, if you're Sunni Muslim and you're coming from, let's say, Syria, were you persecuted by other Muslims there? The answer is no. If you are a Shiite, well, probably. If you are 
a female. Well, yeah, if you're a female and Sunni Muslim, well, you had to be worried about sex jihad being, you had to be brought out to be used by the jihadists. And so I guess you have an excuse for coming and being considered a, a refugee, but yeah, let's see what's that. left. Yeah. Anybody? Right. If you were a reporter, you had a chance of getting killed or something. So yeah, you might have a chance of coming as a refugee. But other than that, I mean, homosexual, uh, they, well, they kill you over there for that. Um, really, there isn't much else. So who so, was committing all these atrocities? Sunnis. <laughs> so, the, so in other words, in order to determine this, it almost has to be a case-by-case basis talking about, you know, taking each individual aside and saying, why are you here and what makes you think you're a refugee? Well, the sad part is in, in Canada, I don't think they actually did much checking. They just said, oh, you're, you're a Muslim, you can come. Rather than looking at the terminology of what refugee, I, again, you have to check what the Canadian definition of refugee means. If they're fleeing, uh, if you're allowed to flee a war-torn country and be called a refugee, that's something. Um, you may be called an asylee here in the United States, uh, but refugee does not fit. You cannot legally be called a refugee if you don't have that persecution angle in there. So that's that's the law in the states. So okay, uh, well, here's the official. The interesting thing is, oh, I was just going to say, here's the Canadian definition of what is a refugee: a person who is forced to flee from persecution and who is located outside their home country. Convention refugee: a person who who meet. Oh, I got my screen is giving me grief. Who meets the refugee definition in the 1951 Geneva Convention relating to the status for refugees? This definition is used in Canadian law and is widely accepted internationally. So that's the definition: a person is forced to flee from persecution and who is located outside their home country. Which is kind and this of is where, yeah. So you already have to have left your country, and that's important. Uh, so if they're saying they came straight from Syria to here then something's wrong. <laughs> yeah, and there's <laughs> we have a whole bunch of other issues. First safe haven that changes the status? If you know what I yeah, mean. Yeah, um yeah. Well, I my big issue here is, you know, it's actually cheaper to take care of the refugees in their own homes. Yeah. In their own um in those refugee camps. Right. Uh, there there's food provided for them, there's shelter provided for them. Um the reason why the the countries want them to go to other places is because there's a lot of violence around there, around those neighborhoods, around the refugee camps. Yeah, they have some, um, some and they're, they're worried about jihadists. All right, well let's let's talk for a minute about the um, situation you bring up in your article. Um, the fact that we're, if the Trump administration goes ahead and labels the Muslim Brotherhood, and from a theoretical, from a uh, in a perfect world scenario, I don't think there's any doubt that you'd want to do that. Because these guys are not exactly going to win the best neighbor next door neighbor award, uh, they don't seem to like anybody. But the um, if they're going to do that, what challenges does that pose to the security forces? Like how far do they carry this? Because the Muslim Brotherhood is like a is like a, um, a, a Virginia creeping vine; it has tentacles everywhere. <laughs> and that is where I say, uh, at least the United States is not ready. Um, today I had a guest on my show, um, Civilization Jihad Awareness, um, which is on Black Talk Radio. Um, and we, he was, he's a former uh, supervisory agent with the 
uh, FBI. And he was talking about the difference in definitions of terrorism and how the FBI has a definition versus what the military has. And unless we, we're going to actually have to deal with that kind of thing, because if we're trying to, if we call the Muslim Brotherhood a terror group, the only thing from what, this is from long discussions with the gentleman, um, agent, I had uh, an incredible gentleman on, um, that's pretty bad. I can't think of the thing right now. He was just incredible. What what I'm in, and I've been talking with him for days. It's just that he, <laughs> he t- explained to me that the FBI pursues individuals, not groups. And and I'm, I'm you know the Mounties are known for getting their men. You don't hear about them talking about getting their group. <laughs> and I look at look at this as if you're looking at in terms of. Um, if we call the, the Muslim Brotherhood a, a foreign terrorist organization and Canada follows suit, which, I, I mean, I think it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I believe it will. Um, I think the reason we have not is we are not capable or ready to deal with organizations versus people. Um, in the United States, we deal with um, – uh, crimes. We don't deal with terrorists. You, you see people persecuted, I'm sorry, prosecuted for more crimes than they are prosecuted for terrorism. We kick people out. We deport them for supporting terror. But it's very, very rare that you actually see someone go to jail for um, and for taking part in an act of terrorism. Well, I can tell you. Um, we'd rather lock you up. Yeah. I'm uh, I was just going to say, as far as uh, it, let me put it to you this way: if the United States isn't ready to deal with this, we certainly aren't. Uh, we have one of the most socialistic governments we've had in decades. Our prime minister can't even bring himself to use the phrase "Islamic terrorism." When, let's face it, everybody well, he's a Muslim would, himself. He can't say it. He can't well, say it. <laughs> <laughs> there, there seems to be some some. Uh, there's a lot of people who hold that opinion. Let me put it to you that way. Uh, but the bottom well, line here, as I understand it, is when you if you're the FBI, the CIA or whatever alphabet soup organization you want to talk to, what you're dealing with. And I'm drawing this from your article and I hope that people listening will go and read it because it's very well written. Um, but what do you do with with groups like the Muslim Students Association? What do you do with uh, who are, um, you know, are, are uh, connected or, or linked to the Muslim Brotherhood? What do you do with uh, care? Uh, the Council of uh, American Islamic Relations. What do you do with uh, all kinds of hundreds of groups and thousands of, of um, individuals that are connected to these groups? What do you do with them? How do you deal with it? My my answer is uh, it's too simple, and I have to develop a better one. But my simple answer is if you're connected to the group, we deport you. <laughs> and well, it's now pretty, that, even, pretty but, simple, selfish answer. Even the, yes, and I believe me, I understand the the sentiment behind it. But ask yourself this: What do you do with people who there's no place to deport them to? Because there's a lot of these guys. Uh, prison populations in the states have a huge and growing Muslim population. Their people are converting to Islam within prisons. They're native-born, let's call them North Americans, because it's happening too in Canada. Uh, when there's a lot of people who are converting to Islam within our prison systems, um, and they're born right here in North America, where would you deport them to? 
Oh, I'm not talking about, okay, they're in your prisons, they're, they're there, they're rotting, and hopefully they will be staying for an, an extended time period. Um, what I'm talking about is people who are actively involved in the Brotherhood. So if you're actively involved, um, what we've discovered here in the States is it's not that unusual for um, Muslim Student Association members to become Islamic Society of North America members. Um, we've also discovered that it's not that unusual for some of these pe um, officers of Muslim Student Associations and other things to take part in active jihad. I, I say it's not that unusual because some of the terrorists are saying, we're not going to catch all of this. I mean, we're not going to catch them all. And, and I'm saying it's a higher percentage. Uh, we're finding jihadis, say the Boston bomber was involved in the Muslim Student Association. The, uh, there's uh, an attack that was done on uh, President Bush was that was planned and ready to carried out by members, uh, former the former presidents of the Muslim Student Association, and there's there's at least five attacks that I can that five people I can talk about that were arrested for these reasons. That's from my that information's in my first book. Um, you can find it um, on Amazon. It's called Stealth Jihad Face to Infiltrate American Colleges. Um, when I wrote that book, I had no clue how big civilization jihad is. Um, when I wrote my second book, I started to have a grasp, and I started to include Canada in it. Um, this year, I went to Europe, and I took part in, uh, in it was a fact-finding expedition on the Islamization of Europe. And now I really have a clue <laughs> how big civilization jihad is. It is, again, this, it, this is their terminology, and it goes as far back as 1915. Um, the last caliph gave a fatwa, and in it he describes the three required levels of jihad. Uh, again, it's re required of all Muslims that they must, at the very least, feel jihad in their hearts towards non-Muslims. The second level, word jihad, and word jihad has to do with you, if you're living in an area that is not primarily Muslim, and you're, you can't take part in an act of jihad because you feel your life would be, you know, you'd be snuffed out. Right. Then you can do this. You can lie to non-Muslims about what Islam really teaches. You can uh, misinform the public. You can, um, you know, do anything to, to push Islam or to uh, push. You can, you can raise money for jihadists. Um, again, those, that puts you on. If you're raising money for jihadists, you get the same credit as a jihadist. Under under Islam, that's that's part of their doctrine. It's part of their mm -hmm. law. Okay. So if the jihadist gets blown up, you gave you gave him money to go blow some go blow himself up and kill people. You're getting the same credit that he did. Um, so that's why you'll find Islamic charities are you know something to be worried about because and this is one of the things I consider that part of the destruction of society because the Canadians and the Americans are known for our giving nature for our generosity through 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 hundreds of, of generous uh, organizations. But when you look at the charities that, that are coming out that we're discovering, oh, that goes to Hamas. Oh, that goes to Hezbollah. And we're closing these as soon as, you know, I wouldn't say as soon as we find them, but as we find them. <laughs> um, and we're, I mean, we're, some of them we're putting through courts, like the Holy Land Foundation trial that happened in 2008 and 2000, 2007 and 2008. 
but we're not doing um i don't think we make something that's public enough we attacked in, in 2008 we went after four people and then one huge organization yet we named about a hundred other people and organizations all right let me pause let me pause the there. Co-conspirators. i have to take a break yeah. i have to play a commercial but uh, uh I want to move off, move over to Manchester, and we'll talk a little bit about what lessons sure. that holds for us, because we all pretty much know what happened, so we can talk about the long, the ripple effects, if you will. So if you'll stay there, let me yes. just click that particular button right there, and I will do this, and we will be right back with more on the Naked Night Show. Three four three seven hundred forty three ninety. We'll be right back. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches, but fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them council sent you. That'll make him smile. All right. Welcome back, everybody, or thanks for sticking with us, I should say. 343-700-4390. We've got about five or ten minutes left with our guest, Paul Sutliff, who has been a pleasure to talk to. Uh, Welcome back, uh, Paul. Let's uh, switch over to England and what just happened over there, because this is a this is okay. This is one of the most barbaric things I think I've ever seen. And, you know, I I keep pay attention to this stuff and we've seen beheadings and we've seen people burned alive with gasoline. But it's never been a direct attack with the exception of one that I can think of, which was some, I believe, Egyptian Christian girls who they killed really brutally because they wouldn't convert to Islam. But never an attack like this on our own soil in one of our major cities here in the West against young, basically young girls. How does this change the game for us? I I don't know if the attack was against uh, specifically young girls because they they waited in the lobby to kill the parents as well. this, you would think it was a game changer for for England. It's it's a flub so far. They have brought out the uh, military. The military is now walking the streets in Manchester area, uh, and the UK military is, and um, they're going to do what they can to protect their people. They have currently arrested seven people in connection with the bombing. Um, I was surprised when I heard the number had gone up to seven. Um, Abedi's father um, has been arrested. Um, he has his most of the other members of his family have also been arrested. One of the reasons they arrested um, his father, his father's name is um, 
or get his written father's name correct. Um, they arrested his father because he is connected to um, an Al-Qaeda-backed Libyan Islamic fighting group in the 1990s. Supposedly, his arrest, he, was, he had an arrest warrant out for him, and he was, in, in, that, in that sense, he was allowed to seek refuge in the U.K. His sons were, some of them were born in the United States, and for that reason, they are considered, we would, in the United States and Canada, we may, we may use the term homegrown terrorist, um, but in that sense, that's what we have. Each of the family members has been arrested. Um, we're talking about, and they're actually, the news story on express.co.uk is that they're actually looking for the person who made the bomb right now. Right. Um, they've arrested Ismail, Hashim, uh, and these are all the last name of a Betty. Um, one of them was arrested in, in Tripoli last, um, last night. Um, they have arrested, uh, let's see, who's the other guy? Um, again, the father... Um, Ramadan Abedi, but he's the one that's who they, they arrested. So we have Solomon. We have uh, Solomon is the Ramadan, Solomon Ramadan Abedi is the one who killed himself. Ramadan is the father, and they've arrested his brothers as well as connection. They're, they're, the brothers are admitting to knowing about the bombing beforehand. So they they could and, have warned the, warned the officials, and they didn't. They could have done a lot of things, and they didn't. Yeah. Um, they, could have, yeah, and I, they could have stopped him. They could have done yeah, 100 things. That's enough. Yeah. Okay, so it's, this, this kind of stuff. When you say it, it was a, a lot f- of this has to do with acceptance. They, they keep making accommodations, special, special privileges for uh, the Muslims that come. Instead of – this is one of the situations where um, if you – take new people into your country, they're supposed to assimilate to your country. In this case, they keep making new accommodations. So they now have Sharia courts. They have areas where only Sharia is enforced and the police are afraid to go. And this is happening throughout the UK and throughout Europe and it's starting here too. So, because a lot of people would say, look, I, I, I had a young lady uh, called a workaway student who came from France um, she was 27 years old. She she was a delight to have. Uh, she worked on our farm to uh, you know swapped uh, room and board for um, some working with the horses and things like that. And I didn't get into too much politics with her because that's not why she was there. But I asked her, you know, okay, so how bad? What's what's the scenario on the ground? And she said, well, it's just in the big cities. And I thought, oh, it's that bad. Because if it's in the big cities, the country the countryside doesn't much matter. It's uh, it's kind of hard to say it's specifically in a location. It's 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 worse in the big cities. Um, it's more noticeable in urban areas because that tends to be where immigrants go to, um, because that's where the centers for uh, for social services tend to be. Right. However, they do try to spread you out. At least, I mean, in, in, like you think about how it's done in Canada, they do try to spread you out. So it's not just the big cities, but if you're a younger person, that may be how you interpret it. Mm-hmm. Um, when your communities start getting taken over by and, and run by uh, people who are not who are not police, 
and they they put on uniforms and run and enforce Sharia um, in your communities. That's something to think about. Well, there was a That's case happening that where a, a guy dressed up in a, in a Sharia um, enforcement officer uniform of his own design. It was in North America somewhere. Yeah. Was that Dearborn? Yes, that's happened. Um, well, that probably happens on a regular basis, and Dearborn is my guess. Hmm. They're not. Uh, it'll probably be Minnesota. <laughs> Maybe it was Minnesota. That stuff is, is, Dearborn is pretty bad. Minnesota is pretty bad. I, I was recently in um, St. Cloud, Minnesota, and I'd say that's about 20% Muslim at this point, and they're getting overrun. Um, it's an amazing thing. It's not too surprising to see that and in England that and that there are actually people who wear those uniforms and do those kind of things. They try to say no, but in those Sharia zones, you're not walking there if you're not if you're a cop. All right. <laughs> you're just Listen, not. Paul, I wish I had more time. I wish we, we both had more time. I, th- I want to thank you for uh, joining us this evening. It has been a pleasure talking to you, and I would really love to have you back on to continue this conversation sometime in the near future. Would you be open to that? Sure. All right. What's, the name, of your, uh, what's the name of your show and your blog again? Okay. My, blo- uh, my show is called Civilization Jihad Awareness. Um, it's on Blog Talk Radio and American Patriot Radio, um, and it's called yeah, – and, and it's on 6 p.m. Uh, Wednesdays oh, um, right. to 7.30 the books that I have out right now, the Muslim Brotherhood and other Islamists are, are fighting the book that's I had to, I have a had a my publisher was arrested, thank you, Canada <laughs> um, for not paying the authors and Canada caught him and sent him down to Oklahoma. Thank you, Canada. <laughs> send him to Oklahoma. And, uh, yeah, he's okay. the Tates. The, the Tates were arrested. Mm-hmm. So I thank you for that. But the, because of that the if you try to buy my book on Amazon, the Muslims have been able to raise the price to like $460. So if you're seeking um, a copy of the book, you can contact the network here. They'll give you, he'll give you my phone number, and you, we'll talk about how you can exchange uh, some cash or something to to get the, a copy of the book. Um, the other, you'll also find Stealth Jihad Phase Two on Amazon. You can buy that at my price, which is much reduced from. The the Islamist price, which is again around four hundred dollars. <laughs> it's probably <laughs> Whenever worth they don't every want word. You read what's true. All right, I'm thank sorry? you very much. I said it's probably worth every penny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I wish I would get that cash. <laughs> yeah, well, I have a feeling most of it's not going to go to you. Um, good luck. With, <laughs> good luck, and I mean this sincerely. Good luck with the book. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Paul. Thank and you. I hope to have you on again soon. God bless. All right. Bye bye. Okay. Bye. Okay, with that said, I am going to uh, take a break. We're going to reload, and I, if unless I miss my guess, I know who that... Okay, we'll take a break. We'll come back with more right after this on The Naked Night Show. So Nick is reloading and taking a much-needed break. Not that he needs one, but maybe it's a good thing. So if you want to fire him off an email, just uh, send it to nick at latenightcouncil.com. That's simple, huh? Nick at latenightcouncil.com. Or better yet, call now. 
Hey, I know he could talk forever, but you know what? If you're doing talk radio, you love the calls. 343-700-4390. That's 343-700-4390 for the Capital Region. And if you can't get through on that line or you live far, far, far away, like we're talking about Alaska, 1-844-562-4766. That's 1-844-562-4766. Now, our call service is automated. You won't be talking to a live person until you're live on air. Don't sweat it. Just follow the prompts and while you're on hold, and, and you'll be fine. night does not exist without advertisers so if you want to buy time you contact either myself jc at late or you can contact nick if you're more comfortable with him and of course i certainly understand that you can contact nick at late the ads are like really really cheap i mean you're gonna you're gonna love them okay you're, you're, we've, we've made them quite accessible Feedback is always welcome. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. And thanks for tuning in. Now, back to Nick at Night. All right, 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. If you want to jump in on anything you've heard this evening, please do. Uh, I have a bit of a treat for you. I posted this on Facebook. And you know what? I don't often play, well, I play a few clips here and there. This is about five minutes. It's a Dean Martin roast. They're roasting Don Rickles, and Foster Brooks is doing it. And the reason I'm doing it, not only is it hilarious, it's absolutely hilarious. It harkens back to a time when adults ran things. People could take a joke. People didn't get offended. They didn't get their nose all bent out of joint. There was no cultural appropriation or any of that nonsense. These are just classy people sitting around embarrassing each other, uh, you know, and having some fun, kicking back and just relaxing. And this... (laughs) It's just, you wish, I look, everybody says back in the good old days, you know, or back in the day, as the kids like to say these days, that, that phrase drives me crazy. What does that even mean, right? Uh, there's a lot of stuff about the way that uh, people communicate these days I just don't understand, but that's the phrase. So anyway, back in the day, this is Foster Brooks roasting Don Rickles, and if you're like me, you'll at least get a smile out of it. So we'll play this, and we'll come back with more for the show. Speaker has never met Don Rickles. Boy, that's a lucky guy. <laughs> but he, uh, he asked especially if you could come here tonight just to pay tribute to him. 
Now, where did it go? Hang on here. We seem to have run into a little technical glitch. I don't know what happened. I don't know. Where'd it go? I know why, because it's over here. Hang on a second. We'll have this up again in no time. I don't know what happened there. It's right here. So what happened? Speaker. Okay, we'll try that again. Met Don Rickles. Oh, that's a lucky guy. <laughs> but he, uh, he asked especially if you could come here tonight just to pay tribute to him. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome Mr. Foster Brooks. John, I really must compliment you on your spouse, Mrs. Mrs. Pickles. I say that because she's a real dilly. And I must also admit you have a very lovely, a very lovely home. Incidentally, you're out of scotch. think I would pick up some pretzels. <laughs> you know, Don, what your wife and I love to do most? 
watching you while you're on TV. While you're on TV. When you're on, we just laugh and chuckle and giggle. And sometimes we even turn the sound on. sad when you finish your act. It means you're on your way home and I better cheese it. Which reminds me, you're out of Velveeta too. Now please, Don, don't, don't blame your lovely wife on, for any of this. Our getting together was all, all my doing. It's all my fault. I happen to be the one who answered her ad in Hollywood Free Press. <laughs> you know, your wife thinks that, thinks very... Very highly of you, Don. She tells me you are a one wonderful man. And I know that you you must be to put up with all her snoring. <laughs> she tells me that since she's been Mrs. Rickard, Rickard, Rickard. Thanksgiving. <laughs> By golly, that's what she gets for marrying the turkey. Oh my god. <laughs> that's as fun. Oh man. You know what? I'm just gonna put bring this to a stop. There we go. Okay, look, I'm sorry I inflicted that on you, but oh my god. <laughs> this is what I mean. These people can you imagine anybody doing this today? And Dean Martin would roast. He roasted John Wayne. He roasted, well, obviously Don Rickles. The worst person to be roasted by was Don Rickles. And there's another clip I won't get into. But he didn't give, nobody worried about political correctness. You should have heard the one where he roasted Mr. T. It was like, oh, my God. He got run out of town on a rail for the stuff he said in that clip. You know, just... And he didn't, but the thing about, the beautiful part about it was he didn't just pick on Mr. T because of his color. He picked on everybody. He called Lauren Green a Jew. Now, Lauren Green was Jewish, but, I mean, you just don't do that these days. Okay, you just, anyway, the, the, it just made me realize that, and I think this comes from, what, I'm trying to figure out the year. It was uploaded in 2008, but that doesn't tell me anything. Um, but there were there was. It looks by the by the way they're dressed and everybody's smoking on stage. So it's got to be back in the seventies. But and Rickles is is a relatively young man. What relatively young? He has uh, since passed away, of course. As most have, almost everybody on that stage is now gone. Uh, I think maybe uh, what's his name, uh, uh, Rich Little, may still be with us, but the rest of them are gone. And Lauren Green was actually born right here in Ottawa. I didn't know that. A son, a son of Russian uh, Jewish immigrants. 
Um, I wonder, is is there a green avenue or a green anything to uh, mark? I know we have, um, uh, what's that famous songwriter and singer? Paul Anka Drive, Paul Anka Boulevard, or Paul Anka, there's a, a tribute to Paul Anka in town. Um, but I wonder, and I, this is completely off topic and has no particular relevance, but I'm just thinking out loud. If you had to, if you were asked to name uh, a particular person from Ottawa who made it big in Hollywood, would you know Paul Anka or would you know Lauren Green? Like, which one would, would people would more people recognize? Just, just curious. Anyway, it's got nothing to do with nothing, but there you go. It's just, I, I just, I figured, you know what? It's been quite the, quite the week. And every once in a while, you just gotta have a, a little chuckle. So I hope you, I hope it filled that filled the bill, because I'm telling you, those guys were masters at their trade, uh, class all the way around, and just I pine for the day when adults ran the show. I just, it's just one of those things where you 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 look at the way that pop culture works these days. Um, you look at the way that. Um, uh, the kind of people that, that people look up to. Like, uh, did you know that Cher is still performing? Now, if you like Cher, great. I don't care. That's that's not the issue. But she's 71 years old. She's walking around in a see-through sequin dress with strategically placed pasties, if you get my drift. At 71 years old. Now, look. I'm no prude by any stretch, but grandma, you know, uh, put some clothes on. It's just, wow. And I suppose that just if you put enough makeup on, you can put any, make anybody look good. Although in my case, I'm not so sure that's the case. But when you look at the idols that we have today, uh, Beyonce and, and um, you know, Bieber and all that, now, there, there's a huge hole. When you look at the, the the stars of yesteryear, whether it be um, you know John Wayne or you, you you pick whoever you want to, and again I'm going back to the golden age, right, where everything was always sunny and rosy and nobody ever did anything wrong, and the world was nothing but a, 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 a paradise for all of us to throw daisies around and sing kumbaya on campsites. No, of course not, but uh, the world just seemed to have a better sense of who it was than it does today. But when I saw, when I looked at Cher, I just like, oh, she was in the news about uh, upstaging some young starlet. I thought, man, where's the walker? Seventy-one years old. Now, if you're, <laughs> I better be careful. I'm not trying to say that people who are seventy-one years old are, you know, disposable by any stretch. I just don't think they should walk around and see through clothing. You're a little past that, don't you think? It's just because, oh. Man. All right. Now, there is a new breaking story, uh, and I have the clip here. How long is this one? 354. This is about Obama and his messing around with, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Surveillance. Yes, that's the word, surveillance. And right after we take this break, I am going to play it for you. And uh, you'll find out that there's been a lot of talk about what Trump has been doing. Uh, I think a lot of it's trumped up or at least 
exaggerated and taken out of context or, you know, is being used by the left to unthrone a duly elected president. Uh, whether you like him or not is not the, not the point. Um, and he's done some stuff there's to no excuse for. But I think Obama was far, far worse for a whole lot more reasons. So you listen to this. We shall take a break, and we'll be right back on the Nick at Night Show. General Manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area, and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario, and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck, so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night, and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. Let me get that queued up for you because I think this is, and according to a story, this, uh, let's see, no, don't do that. I want uh, posted on the 22nd of this month. I'll share with you in a moment after I play this clip. This kind of thing is not unique to the United States. I know that's hard to believe. I, I really get it. I understand it. Okay, let's see. Let's try this. National Security Here Agency involving Americans during the Obama administration violated constitutional privacy protections. And that practice went on for years. Not only that, but the Obama administration was harshly rebuked by the FISA court for doing it. That's the conclusion from shocking new evidence tonight about what one senator calls an enormous abuse of power. Chief Washington Correspondent James Rosen has the story. On the day President Obama visited Los Angeles last October to yuck it up with Jimmy Kimmel, lawyers for the National Security Agency were quietly informing the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court that NSA had systematically violated the rights of countless Americans, a subject covered ironically on Kimmel's program. People expect the government to monitor this enough to protect them from bad guys, but they worry that if government is in there too much, then that who's going to protect them from government. 
Declassified documents first obtained by the news outlet Circa show the FISA court sharply rebuked the administration with greater frequency than previously disclosed to the court. NSA analysts had used U.S. person identifiers to query the results of Internet upstream collection, even though NSA's Section 702 minimization procedures prohibited such queries. Minimization refers to the precautions the government is supposed to take to ensure its infringements on Americans' rights are kept to a minimum. The judges blasted NSA's institutional lack of candor and added this is a very serious Fourth Amendment issue. And tonight, for the first time, we can say confidently that there's been a finding that some of that espionage, that uh, spying on Americans, actually violated the law. The documents show it was back in 2011 that the FISA court first determined NSA's procedures to be, quote, statutorily and constitutionally deficient with respect to their protection of U.S. person information. Five years later, two weeks before Election Day, the judges learned that NSA had never adequately enacted the changes it had promised to make. The NSA Inspector General and its Office of Compliance for Operations have been conducting other reviews covering different time periods, the judges noted, with preliminary results suggesting that the problem was widespread during all periods of review. There's a linear connection between excessive acquisition of data by the intelligence community, distribution of that raw data to people who do not need to know it, availability of unmasking that is producing the real true names of the human beings whose emails, texts, and phone calls were the subject of all this, and then ultimately the selective revelation of those names. Senator Rand Paul called this an amazing abuse of power. A spokesman for former President Obama did not return our request for comment. These disclosures are timely, though, as Section 702 of the FISA Amendments Act, one of the primary means by which U.S. citizens are caught up in incidental surveillance, is up for reauthorization, Brett, by the Congress at year's end. James, there's some evidence that the FISA court was essentially getting frustrated with the Obama administration. And running out of patience, yes. Uh, the administration was trying to delineate how bad this practice was, what the scope of the non-compliance was. Uh, the court said, we are skeptical that you've actually got your hands around this. The administration kept asking for more time to do that, and eventually the FISA court said, no, you're not going to get as much time as you would like. It all stretched out past Inauguration Day, and now the new Attorney General and the new Director of National Intelligence have certified to this court that they've put in different procedures. Okay, James, thanks. Followed. So that is okay. So that's Fox News as of uh, let's see May twenty fourth. So that is today. That's only broke just today that we find this out. Now, on top of that story, we have this. Just to th just in case you think it's only happening north uh, south of the border, well, it might not. Concern, be as widespread as it is in the States, and it may not involve as much money as the United States, but Canada's 2015 federal election may have been influenced by outsiders, according to a new report, and this is posted two days ago. <clears throat> Foreign money funneled towards Canadian political advocacy groups affected the outcome of the 2015 federal election, according to a document filed last week with Elections Canada and obtained in part by the Herald. The 36-page report entitled Elections Canada Complaint Regarding Foreign Influence in the 2015 Canadian Election alleges third parties worked with each other which may have bypassed election spending limits, all of which appears to be in contravention of the Canada Elections Act. 
The Act states that a third party shall not circumvent or attempt to circumvent a limited set out in any manner, including by splitting itself into two or more third parties for the purpose of circumventing the limit or acting in collusion with another third party so their combined election advertising expenses exceed the limit. In other words, no matter how you slice it, you can only spend what we say you can spend, and that's it. That's, in, an es- in essence, what's going on here. Now, uh, the number of third parties registered during the 2015 general election more than doubled to 114 compared to 55 in the 2011 election. In total, the 114 third parties spent $6 million. Many of those third parties were funded by California and New York-based Tides Foundation, which is known in Canada for holding numerous anti-Canadian oil campaigns. In 2015, Tides Foundation donated 1.5 million U.S. to Canadian third parties in the election year, according to the report. Crockett seat. Oh, she's talking about a politician by the name of Crockett, who is running for a seat out west. Let's see, Crockett Seat was one of the 29 targeted by an organization called Lead Now through its largest ever campaign called Vote Together. The complaint by candidate Decides alleges that foreign money spawned Lead Now and helped fund an elaborate campaign to oust a ruling Conservative Party. Mount Royal University political science professor Dwayne Bratt said Canadians should be concerned about any kind of foreign involvement in our elections. Is this not the same issue? As what we just heard about Obama and has been alleged, uh, you know, in, uh, down in, in the states all over the place. So don't think for a second that, that, you know, we should be getting too uppity about the way our, our system works well. I've always thought we have a better method of electing people to high office than the Americans do because we can take a country as diverse and vast as Canada is and in two hours know the outcome. Down south of the border, not the same story. So the question becomes, how did this happen? Who knew about it? And when did they know? I mean, the classic questions, right? How is it that we... <sighs> this kind of stuff undermines our very democracy. Now... It's one thing I've always believed in, like, my attitude has always been about foreign countries. And I'm just a a talk show host. I'm just a simple guy from Killaloo. But we have no dog in anybody else's fight. Like, we we get all wound up when the Americans are having an election. And it seems like every day they're having another election somewhere down there. Um, But when we talk about, especially presidential elections, okay, we get caught up in the fever. And we debate it ad nauseum, as if we actually had a say. Well, we don't. Now, if you and I can't have a say in American elections, then it goes to, you know, it should be that unless you're an American citizen, that you shouldn't have any say in their elections either. The same thing holds true for our elections. If it's up to us, then it's only up to us, because Canadians should be allowed to pick whoever they want for their leader. And we've done that. Whether you like the outcome of the last election or not, Mr. Trudeau is our is our prime minister for as long as the country at large wants him there. This stuff, though, undermines that principle. It simply trashes 
you know, it, it makes a mockery of our democratic institutions. And these kind of things just – well, let me read a little more. The whole concept and idea of foreign influence in an election is an important issue and is something the Canadians should not tolerate. Tides Foundation and Lead Now representatives did not return repeated phone calls and emails from the Herald to respond to concerns raised by Canada Decides. A December 2015 Lead Now report defeating Harper discusses how effective his campaign was in the 2015 general election. The Conservatives were defeated in 25 out of 29 ridings, and in the seats Conservatives lost, our recommended candidate was winner was the winner in 96% of the time. Now, it's too late. I don't think you can go back. Or is it? Is it too late to overturn the results of those elections because of this information? Because obviously there's outside influence here. Should we have new elections in those 29 ridings? I don't know if that would, in fact, I'd have to look up the numbers and see who has what and how much 29, if we are to assume that the uh, uh, ridings went the conservative way and give them 29 seats, would that be enough to take away the, the liberal majority? Maybe it would be, maybe it would be. I haven't looked it up yet. But the point is, for the sake of our principles and our democratic institutions, should we rerun those, uh, have in effect what are by-elections in those writings? Now, should we is one thing, will we is another. And I don't see the government doing anything like that at all because of this news article in The Sun. I just don't think that's going to happen. But this Crockett lost her seat in uh, in Calgary Centre by 750 votes. Conservative NP Lawrence Toet lost his Manitoba seat of Elmwood Transcona to the NDP's Daniel Blakey by just 61 votes. Former Conservative Finance Minister Joe Oliver lost his seat to Liberal Mark, Marco Men, Men, uh, Mendic- Mendicino with a margin of 34. 30- 3,490 votes. Only 6% of voters in that ride had voted for the NDP candidate who complained of Leadnow's tactics on Twitter. So, and this is, that's only about a third of the article. I'm not going to read it all, but you get the point. You get the point. This is really, what do you do with this? I guess that's what it comes down to. What do you do with this? We have this information. You know the government of, of the day is not going to act on it. So do, you, do we just pound our head into the wall? Who do we hold accountable for this, and where do we get a hold of them? Well, the, the Crockett's name is Joan, by the way. Uh, Joan Crockett. Oh, man, this, this kind of stuff just makes me lose my mind. All right. Um, I think I need to take another break, so I'll be right back after this with more.
For 17 years, I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches, but fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them Council sent you. That'll make them smile. Okay, welcome back. There was another story I wanted to bring to your attention. And where did it go? Get rid of that one now. Oh, yes. Okay, we've talked about the minimum wage ad nauseum. But here's a first step towards the workers' utopia that I think, you know, people feel so hard done by in their daily lives. They have no idea. You know, we're so protected and so candy-coated in our lifestyles that we just don't understand how really well off we are when i'm i'm talking about you know the kind of demands that workplaces place on you yeah there's a stress comes in in different forms there's no arguing that i understand that but look my i'm sure i'm not the only one who has kids that use this phrase but there's a phrase that i think we need to apply it's called first world problems like where the heck is the Bluetooth for my cell phone? Where's my cell phone? Where's the keys? And people like me lose their minds when they can't find this stuff, especially when it comes time to leave. And that consumes huge amounts of mental energy. Ask me. I know. But at the same time, when you compare that to some of the people living through some of the worst hell holes on earth, it's hardly an issue worth you know, it, it's such a small inconvenience, it's not even worth mentioning, right? Okay. So we have it pretty fat and cushy over here. Listen to this. We're, Ontario workers should get week of unpaid personal emergency leave. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't get this, but I am saying that at some point, we have to suck it up and just go to work. All Ontario workers should get a week of unpaid personal emergency leave a year. Government-appointed experts recommend to, recommended Tuesday, though they stopped short of un, urging paid sick leave for every employee. That's because you can't do it for every employee. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. Two labor law experts consulted with workers, unions, and businesses for two years on a wide range of work-related issues. In their report, Charging work, Changing Workplaces Review, they recommend reforms to collective bargaining, strengthening workplace safety and inspection practices, Wage fairness for part-time, casual, temporary contract, and seasonal employees. You want to know the best way to ensue, ensure wage fairness for different uh, subgroups within the workforce? It's easy. If somebody says, look, I want you to work for 7 bucks an hour picking apples, and you say, uh, okay, don't complain later that the wage isn't fair for the job because you agreed to it. Or you could say, no, thanks, I appreciate the offer, but I'll go try my luck someplace else. Because 7 bucks an hour is not enough. And if everybody says that to him, he's got to do what? He's got to increase the rate because the market says that 7 bucks an hour is not enough to fill a basket. It's not enough an hour to pick apples. 
I'm just picking that out of the blue. It doesn't have to be apples. I like apples. They're tasty. Anyway, the provincial government has yet to announce which of the report's recommendations it will follow. The good old Premier Kathleen Wynne said her government is considering the entire report with the goal of building a society where people can earn a living that allows them to take care of themselves and their families. Hint to Kathleen. Cut taxes and scrap the Green Energy Act. And the rest will take care of itself. 343-700-4390-844-562-4766 if you want to add to the conversation. But how hard is this? You know, this is the part that just makes me want to claw my eyes out. It's The answer is right here. Her government wants to have people earn a living that allows them to take care of themselves and their families. Well, so do the people. And the best way to do it is get the government off their back. Stop making life so expensive that they have no choice but to have two people at work. Instead of... One at home raising the kids and the other one out earning the bacon. And I don't care which one's which. I'm sure there's a lot of guys who would like to stay home and play Mr. Mom. Although when I see the amount of work my wife does, I'm not so sure I'd want to be one of them because she works a lot harder than I do. Anyway, although I too try to help out and lighten her load. The 173 recommendations do not include extending paid sick leave to all employees, despite workers at public hearings saying it would be a useful protection. Well, no kidding. No kidding. Think about that. If somebody says, "Hmm, what if we, uh, what, what if we gave you more, made you work less, and paid you more? Would you be interested?" Well, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, who would say no to that? I mean, that's that's just plain silly. The report notes that paid sick leave isn't common, and Prince Edward Island is the only province to provide it with one paid sick day per year for employees with. For employees with five or more years on the job. You know something? Look, I, I, I'm not an uncompassionate man. I have been in need of medical attention myself at different at t- different times in my life. Kidney stones comes racing to mind. Trust me, when those are going on, you are not going to work. The only place you're going is into a hospital, if there are anything like mine were, and you're going to fall in love with an IV pole and a bag of morphine. Because it's the, one of the few things that actually can hand, ma- get you through it. It's the mo- single most painful thing I've ever been through in my life, and I hope I never go through it again. However, anyway, so it goes on about this. But this is, remember all the changes that they want to put into the, the whole, this this leading, leading us up to the $15 an hour minimum wage. That's what they're trying to, to pave the way for. Uh, even though if they did that, you would lose Massive amounts of jobs through automation all by itself. Like if you think if you walk into a a fast food restaurant and put any name on it you want to, Harvey's, McDonald's, I don't care. That's not the point. Uh, The point is uh, that if you have a automated restaurant and they're paying right now, what's the minimum wage, $11.75 or whatever it is, um, if they have to pay $15 an hour, They'll spend a few hundred thousand dollars or 40 or 50, whatever it is, and they will automate. We already have automatic tellers in many of the fast food restaurants. We've got automatic checkouts in grocery stores. I was in one today, and I had the option, which I did not take, of walking over and doing my own checkout. Because checkout machines don't need sick days. They don't need, they don't become members of unions. They don't have pay dues. They don't have to 
take time off to go take the kids to soccer practice or whatever. There's no medical emergencies. There's no family concerns. You know, they don't require any kind of... All they need is to be plugged into the wall. Make sure that if they have a little tape, you know, to print the receipt on, and they empty the change box once in a while. That's it. Now, I can hear the people who are for this kind of thing say, well, the new jobs will be in the... Uh, uh, in the, in the maintaining of the Ottomans, yeah, they may be. But how many guys does it take to keep twenty of those things running? One. All right, let's take a call here. Good evening, welcome yes, to the hello. show. Hi. Hey, hey, Nick, how's it going? Oh, if I was any better, buddy, I'd be out under the apple tree looking for the bent penny. Who am I talking to? Buddy, I say with you. You're talking to Kirk Peters from HMCS Sagney Day. Hold on, <laughs> oh now. i got to turn God. on the computer. Oh, I should have known. I should have known. Hey, i got to pick a bone with you. How come you called John hey, Council first? What do I do now? You called John Council first. Yeah. <laughs> How's life out on the coast there, buddy? Boy, uh, politically, we're in a mess. Yeah, that's not surprising. Although Newfoundland kind of, you know something, uh, and I mean this with all due respect. We're still, go ahead. We're still wearing long johns down here. Put it to you that way. Oh my god. We're still in our winter dress down here. <laughs> uh, is the ice off the ponds yet? No, it's apparently around Trinity Bay, and that ice pack is still in. Now, what about the inland ponds? In, 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 Can you? Uh, it's pretty. Uh, it's pretty cold down here, man. It's uh, it's foggy. It's oh boy, it's it, it's really bad. We're even, we we probably get snow again Saturday. Oh man, you're making me free. I'm feel like reaching for my jacket, buddy. Yeah, you're going to catch the phone. You're just boy thinking about it. Eh? <laughs> I was thinking about you the other day, thinking if I head out there, will he show me some of his favorite trout holes? <laughs> mm, pro- yeah, the pets are all grown over, boy. Oh, wow. <laughs> so what's on your mind? I haven't gone drinking in years. Well, we can fix that. No, uh, 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 you know, loving or hate them, uh, the president seems to enjoy, uh, uh, like, the military a lot. He, he's certainly trying to increase their budget anyway. Oh, you're talking about President Trump? Yeah, that yeah, guy. Look at the mess he got left. I know, I know, I know. I mean, he's over there in the Middle East. Now he's in NATO talking with Brussels, right? With yeah, NATO. well, he's uh, he's kind of lowered the boom on them guys and told them to pull up their socks. Now, we're not going to listen because we'll say, oh, well, we always punch over our weight. Yeah, we do, but that's not that's out of necessity, not because we want to. No, no, I mean, he's, uh, I mean, he, he's really acting, I mean, Oh, God, how, how do you put it? It's like he's, uh, how do you put it? He, well, I'll put it to you this way. He's not dragging his feet like, like the previous president did. No, no, that's true. He is I don't not think that, it, it, I, I, I mean, I mean, he was no time. Like, I mean, they had a weapon called Moab, you know, that, yeah. that they developed, what, 15, 20 years ago now? Yeah, yeah. They finally got a chance to yeah. use it. And and he had the two destroyers over there launching their tomahawks against Syria because of their misuse of chemical weapons or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
they, uh, Trump, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of things you can say about Trump, but uh, the one thing that is obvious is he is completely. I don't know if you could find a more polar opposite to the pre, to the previous president than Donald Trump is compared to Barack Obama. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And look, I'm I'm I'm, I'm certainly glad Hillary Clinton's not the not the president again. You and the rest of, <laughs> you know? you and the, rest of the free world. Uh, yeah. They, well, I'm well. I'm one of the minority conservatives down here in Atlantic Canada, down here in Newfoundland, because most of the province is liberal. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately I for us, because we're in debt, up, we're in debt up to our eyeballs now. Yeah. Well, gas gas has gone up again. Gas has gone up again down here at night. What is it? What is the price of uh, uh, pay- uh, gas out there? Uh, right about now, it's around a dollar forty a liter. You're for kidding. That's cheap. That's the cheapest you can get around here. It just, yeah, it, it just went up a couple more cents. A dollar forty. You know what that it, is in gallons? That's like six oh and a half boy. bucks. Yeah. Oh yeah, we're getting chipped off. <laughs> Holy cow! Our, 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 our beautiful liberal government finance minister decided last year to uh, double the uh, excise gas tax last year. To to about thirty two percent of a liter, it used to be sixteen. Now it's going to go rolling back to sixteen cents a liter come June sixth, I do believe. But by the time that happens, you're going to be paying the gas prices is going to go up again anyway. Well, let me ask you something because you're in a you're halfway across the country. Um, okay, so a, a gallon a, a liter of gas is a buck forty. How much is a bag of milk? Yeah. Uh, well, two quarts of milk is, uh, you can get it for less than five bucks. What? It depends on where you buy it. It oh, depends on where like, you okay. pay around. You said, okay, because I'm That's... thinking, all right, because right now you can buy a bag of milk with three bags in it here for six bucks. Yeah. So yeah. I'm just making the mental yeah, like in say, my we head, want... so... You're around eight or ten. Well, two, yeah, yeah, two liters of milk here is around uh, about anywhere from four to five bucks. Yeah, but that's only depends you, on where you buy it. Yeah, but that's see, that's only it two bags because my wife buys it in yeah. bags, right? Like you grab a bag, there's three bags inside, and those three bags, yeah, let's call them three quarts, just because that's language you and I understand, uh, is uh, yeah. five ninety nine. So you're telling me that. Two bags yeah. is mm-hmm. six bucks. Yeah, they're, they're, they're working out to about so the same. Yeah, you're so you'd have to spend another two dollars. So you're at about eight bucks. So what's yeah, a loaf of bread? Sure, worth? sure. A pack of carrot. Uh, loaf of bread could be around three dollars or more. Holy Again, God. depending on where you buy it. Now, okay, because uh, look. I know that Newfoundland is not exactly <laughs> the economic hot zone of the country. Uh, are most guys no. uh, still fishermen? Are they still, uh, you know, uh, hauling lobster no. traps and that kind of stuff? No, God, no. Uh, beautiful Ottawa is after uh, cutting the quotas on our shrimp and everything by by about half again this year. So, how are you guys surviving? Oh, God, that's a good question. I thought so. That's a good question. <laughs> That's a good question. Now, now here's, another, one. here's another good question for you, Kirk. 
What is it that mm-hmm. Newfoundland has gotten at a confederation that's made it worthwhile? That's a good question. <laughs> I thought <laughs> so, too. Seems like we've been... Yeah, for all that, we still keep voting liberal, and I don't understand that myself. Now, I don't vote I don't vote liberal anyway, because I never have. Well, right? that explains some, that one blue vote out there. Some members of my family are, are smart. <laughs> I said that explains that one blue vote out there. Yeah, yeah. On election yeah, night, yeah. we always see one blue vote out there in, in uh, on the East Coast. You're on the East Coast of Newfoundland, right? Yeah, I'm on the Avalon Peninsula, Conception Bay North. Oh, no wonder you're so cold. You need yeah. to be on the way. In an old called. town called Victoria Conception Bay. Yeah. About an hour's drive or so from Argentia Naval Base. Yeah. Okay, I know where you are. As a matter of fact, there's a, his- yeah, the there's a historic site here, too. Is the Americans yeah. still running that place? Oh, God, no. That's ours. <laughs> Americans left it years and years ago. I didn't know if they still gave, had it and gave, gave, gave it all to us, right? Oh, lucky us. Oh, man. So yeah. I don't know how you guys are surviving because there must be a lot of people who are just basically living off the land. Yeah. Yeah, even that's a struggle, too. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not exactly yeah, the, the... It, it, You know, I'm an Newfoundlander myself, and it boggles my mind how we're still surviving. Well, I, you know... And we're still managing to keep what, what we got. I have a feeling Newfoundland will that's still be there all the taxes after that we got down here. It's it's tragic. Uh-huh. To say, I said I have a feeling Newfoundland will be there long after Canada's come and gone, but just how you guys do it, I have no idea. I love Newfoundland; it's a beautiful place. And my wife and I were thinking mm-hmm. about driving out that way. We want to end up on Saint Pierre Miquelon uh, as as mm-hmm. a bit of a summer trip. I don't know if we'll be able to pull that off or not, but uh, if we get out anywhere near you, we'll give you we'll get in touch and and hoist a glass. Although I hate to ask what a pint of beer's worth out there. Uh, well, I gave up drinking years ago because you can't afford it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the day you left the Navy, not that, right? Not that I drank that much anyway. That's right. I guarantee it's not 50 cents a can. That's what you're <laughs> It hasn't been 50 Down cents here. a can since you and I were able seamen back on the Saguenay, buddy. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. I mean, a uh, carton of smokes down here is around eight, eight bucks. Well, I don't smoke that. I, I occasionally that, that's on, on a pipe, And that's only that's a pack of 15s or something like that. Yeah, yeah a, a half pack, yeah. Well, listen, Kirk, it's yeah, been a, it's what a, we call a half pack. It's been a pleasure talking to yeah. you. Uh, feel free to call any time. And uh, I always love yeah, you. Yeah, I, I, I finally, de- finally de- decided to get rid of CNN and put on Fox News because I got so sick of listening to CNN trying to find some evidence about supposed Russian collusion with the oh, Trump right. uh, campaign. And, that, and, we find out, and they still can't find nothing. I said, why don't they just move on? Because <laughs> they don't want to move on. If they move on, what have they got left to talk about? It's like yeah, David Suzuki. And, and, uh, and I remember the Dean Martin celebrity roast with Don Rickles and that too. Boy, they were good. <laughs> oh, man. I tell you what. I stayed up way too late last night watching those. All right, Kurt. Oh, yeah. i got to yeah. let you go, but thanks for the call. It's been a pleasure talking to you again, and I uh, hope we get a chance to do it again real soon. Yeah, too bad we don't have celebrities like Glenn Ford or Raymond Massey anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, we got celebrities. They're just not that caliber anymore. All right. Kurt. Oh, God, no. Uh, 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 yeah, because uh, you're gone, is you? Oh, I'm still okay. here. Oh, oh, okay. 
Yeah, it's uh, always fun to talk to guys like Kirk. Kirk and I were very young men very long time ago and sailed together on, on the Saguenay, my first ship. So excuse some of the uh, insider talk. I didn't mean to get into that, but Kirk's a good friend, and it's nice to hear from him how they're doing it out there, how they're surviving out there. I have no idea. I have no idea. Just when you stop and think about it, a buck forty a liter. Let me just do a little quick math here. Bring my calculator up. That's uh, 140 times 45. That's $6.30 a gallon. Oh, my God. When I was a kid, you could buy it for under a dollar. A whole gallon. Don't understand how it's possible. So I got to tip my hat to those folks, man. That is unheard of. Uh, you know, the, 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 I, and I think obviously a lot of people are living off the land. Uh, Newfoundland is a very uh, beautiful place. The people are incredibly hardy. You ever get if you haven't been out there, by all means go. You're not going to be disappointed, uh, and it doesn't matter where you go. Like if you go out to where uh, Kirk is out on the uh, Avalon, Avalon Peninsula, that's a whole different kind of gorgeous. If you want to see some mountains, go up the west coast uh, through Stephenville and, and Cornerbrook, and that way and spend some time fishing the Humber River, you will not regret it. All right, enough of a commercial for Newfoundland. We still have a show to run. I'm going to take, uh, let's see. No, I'm not, because I am out of time. Uh, imagine that, or at least almost. Um, I hope you guys got some out of the show tonight. I do want to, uh, I wish I had time to get into more stuff, but what do you have? When you run out of time, you get nothing left. You know, in a way, it's a good thing that this clip by Katy Perry wasn't available, that they pulled it. Because I talked about this in the first hour. Uh, the nonsense she spouted, maybe it was just better. Because the stuff just... That kind of stupid is real special, I must admit. You know, she wants us to all just love each other and get along, except, of course, her because she's not interested in taking in any refugees behind her gated uh, palace walls, is she? No, she's not. All right, folks, with that said, I'm going to bow out. Thank you all very much for listening in. I certainly hope you enjoyed it. Uh, you can. Uh, we'll be back here next, w- next Wednesday, as always. And with any luck, we'll have uh, more guests. Well, not, luck's not got nothing to do with it. We'll be back next week with more guests, more interviews, more comments, uh, common um comment on the day's events and of course we're always open to your phone calls good night and ubiqueritas et amor deus ibiest good evening god bless don't let anything disturb your peace and may you have a fair wind and a following sea all the money that e'er i had i spent it in good company and all the harm I've ever done Alas, it was to none but me And all I've done for want of wit To memory now I can't recall So
So fill to me the parting glass And drink a health whate'er befalls Then gently rise and softly call Good night and joy be to you all Of all the comrades that it I had They're sorry for my going away And all the sweethearts that e'er I had They'd wish me one more day to stay But since it fell into my lot That I should rise and you should not I'll gently rise and softly call Good night and joy be to you all Fill to me the parting glass And drink a health whate'er befalls And gently rise and softly call Good night and joy be to Yeah.